Hello and welcome back to the Institute of International Finance's podcast series, All About the Green, where we speak with topic experts on the exciting and ever-changing world of sustainable finance. I'm your host, Tim Adams, President and CEO of the IIF. We're here live in Glasgow for the COP26 uh, extravaganza. I call it extravaganza because we've been very busy here. Tons of meetings, tons of media, really working with our member firms, and there's so much going on. And I have the pleasure of being joined today with Jay Collins, who's the Vice Chair of Banking, Capital Markets, and Advisory at Citigroup. And Jay knows these markets and he knows this area better than anyone else around. Jay, welcome. Great to be here, Tim. Thanks for including me. Great to, to see you and thanks for the fantastic work that IAF does. Uh, thank you, Jay, for that plug. Uh, Jay, you've been around these kinds of conferences for a long time. Uh, how does your job intersect with this particular event? So, as you know, City has committed not just to sustainability, but to climate finance in an extraordinary way, and both in terms of the net zero commitment that Jane Fraser, our CEO, made uh, on her first day in office, which was pretty extraordinary, mm-hmm. right? Um, as well as the trillion dollars worth of financing that she and the firm have, have committed, 500 billion of which is, as you know, um, climate related. Mm-hmm. So the senior team is here in force. I'm the senior government banker for City and have been for most of my career since we've been working together, right. which is longer than either one of us cares to admit, but so sustainability back when it was called uh, developmental economics. Right. Um, and so, uh, but a lot of my call in here with, with clients is with senior government officials, ministers that are here negotiating teams, uh, both advising them and, and talking to them about how they see uh, this probably most important paradigm shift in the world and uh, very hopeful, um, nonetheless uh, concerned uh, about what I'm seeing. But here really seeing um, some of City's most important clients that are in the room deciding a lot of what everybody's talking about. This is my first uh, COP meeting. And as I've walked through the hallways over the last couple of days, I'm amazed at the number of individuals from the financial services industry. This is their first. We really showed up for this conference. And I think it shows the commitment of the industry uh, to this great endeavor. What's fascinating about this is, is the, not just the level of commitment of the financial community to enhancing climate change and climate finance, but also um, the role in the NDC process and the role in the negotiations. And it's more than Article 6. It's, it's fundamentally about the commitments being made by countries, not just the sovereign, by the way, but the sovereign making commitments on behalf of, of right. the country and the ability to finance it. Um, and so what you've seen is, a, is, is I think, what drew me here, other than just the total commitment of City and its senior management to this process, but it was also that so many of the finance ministers are actually here, Amazing. and yeah. not just environmental ministers, not just energy ministers, not just the negotiators, and that is part of a reflection of the dynamic every day in the hallways and in the rooms is, how will we fund this? So that's not only why I'm here, but that's why you see the, the financial leadership of countries also here. Finance ministers are here, just like the financial community is here, in large part because part of the success will depend on financing. It will depend on the ability to crowd in the private sector, concessional grant monies, the $100 billion which has been on the table, 
the gap between the committed amounts in the NDCs and the conditional amounts in large part depends on how much financing is coming to the developing economies and emerging markets. And so finance is critical. And it's not just what Mark Carney crowded in in terms of our participation right. and, and GFANS. It's because that is critical. The private sector showing up and saying we're committed, but also uh, fundamentally how governments will think about the massive challenge of funding and scale and speed, all of the change that has to happen. So would you th- think that a meta takeaway from this is that the financial sector is now a permanent fixture, a, a partner, a, has a seat at the table? We won't succeed without large-scale financial commitment to this process. And I think we certainly saw some examples of how we came together during COVID with, with, with Gabby and Kovacs as an example of public-private partnership. And this will have to be for the world the largest single public private partnership exercise where both sides realize that the only route to success is to look at what the private sector can do, which is several multiples of what the public sector can do. But the private sector can't actually get there in two areas, Tim, as you know, um, without risk mitigation tools in the the two areas, one being the new technologies without which we fundamentally can't achieve net zero. And that requires some carbon rate mechanisms, um, risk mitigation tools, even blended finance adapted from the emerging markets into, you know, think gates and breakthrough. This can mitigate the risk of future technologies that the break-even points just are financially not viable today when we need them. How do we mitigate those risks to accelerate them? And then the second, of course, is the developing economies that will, in fact, have to transition faster are deeply concerned about the the economic, social, financial consequences to them of transitioning and uh, that are looking to financial markets, to the private sector that's here, but also to the developed world and the official community for for funding. And of course, that's taken a spotlight in the news. Of course, right. So what if you think about more specifically, what are some of the key takeaways and how will 2022 be different because of this? Um, well, a lot depends, Tim, on, on how we come out of this because we went in with some pretty disappointing NDCs, went in with some commitments that, that just don't even kind of move the needle, particularly if you look at the conditional commitments there. So you say to yourself, okay, um, if these are early negotiating positions, but what, what do you, well, how do you come out of it? Right. And you've got to come out with bigger commitments. So what, it, what does it require for the world to come together with greater commitments that actually align to, uh, to Paris objectives? So one is clearly, you know, it's, at some point you have to have U.S. and China have some break through themselves. So that's no question, right? Because right? right. that's just in the room, right? How it... That, that is uh, a requirement. We have to have, between the group of 77 and uh, the developed economies, in particular the G7, I, I would think of, of coming together on Article 6. Um, and Article 6 and all of the detail in it can get very confusing very fast in terms of a, you know, a CDM 2.0. What do we really uh, expect of the issues that have been you know, close to 
our hearts and I have this work so hard on in terms of voluntary um, carbon markets, regulated carbon markets, um, off basically offsets, right? Offsets have to the mechanics of offsets right. that failed the first time. Um, the negotiators are working on how to make those work in a way that's meaningful and where there's alignment. Have to have that happen. You advise governments around the world. Uh, what kinds of questions are they asking you? What kind of advice are they seeking from you? Uh, while you're here, or what would you expect to, uh, when the phone rings in the coming weeks and want you to come visit? Based on what happens here, what kind of questions? What's your to-do list look like? Um, so I I have started conversations the same way with minister after minister, which is, you know, uh, I mean, meaning in the past past four days, uh, read your NDC, top five projects that would get you to the bulk of that commitment. What are those projects? Mm -hmm. Is that blue hydrogen, green hydrogen? Is it some massive new biomass effort? Is it you're going to own solar and wind and, and you know, what are you doing in automobile? Just give me your big projects. And then from those projects, we can talk about, is your commitment real and how we'll fund them and specifically look at those large projects and say, are they commercially viable today? Is it simply bringing in a large global corporate that will help make that happen? Um, with market-based financing, or do we need the development banks, concessional lending, or quite frankly, blended mechanisms where there's a grant lawyer in it to make them happen? And we can't, unless, unless governments get at the projects, and then we get to the viability of the financeability, the bankability of those projects. By the way, this is learning for everybody. Of course. Um, so it's not like we expected that perfection. It just means that we can do better and we're going to have to do better in terms of how we all plan and come together. With that, uh, Jay, I know you've got a busy evening ahead of you. Uh, thank you for being with us today. It truly is a transformative Absolutely. event. And I think we'll look back on this uh, as a time of really an inflection point and for our industry, but for climate, and for the way in which public private sector work together. So thank you for Absolutely. being here with no, us today. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to IF's All About the Green podcast. This has been a great conversation. We thank our guests for another engaging dialogue on the implications of climate change in the financial services industry and the broader economy. For more episodes of All About the Green, please visit us at IIF.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.